Welcome to the Strata Leadership Show, a podcast designed to help you gain clarity, lead effectively, and drive results for yourself, your team, and your organization. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Miller. Well, today is a fun day on the Strata Leadership Show because I get to interview someone that I know and have a great deal of appreciation for. She is someone that is part of the Strata Leadership Team, but she's also a solopreneur, which she will uh, be able to share with uh, you more about that here in a moment. But this is someone that changes the energy in every room that she walks into. And there are so few people who do that. And so when we as Strata learned about Valerie Hope, she was someone that we wanted to do life with. And so Valerie, welcome to the Strata Leadership Show. Wow, Nathan, that's so wonderful. Thank you. Nice to be here. <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time. I know that today's been a long day for you working with clients. And so to make this happen this afternoon just means a lot to us. So thank you for doing that. So for those who are listening in, why don't you tell them where you are and a little bit about what you do? Absolutely. So I am currently in Dallas, Texas, been in Dallas for 20 years is the longest I've lived anywhere in my whole life, actually. And what I do currently is I'm a leadership coach and a professional speaker, started my own business back in 2018, because I decided that that was the best way, a vehicle that seemed the best way to develop people, develop leaders. And so that's what I chose to do. My background is kind of all over the place if you look at it from the context of the organizations I've worked with, but it's always had at its core this idea that connecting with people, connecting with the best of them, and then supporting them in achieving the kind of life they want. It's always been some element that's probably the most prevalent element in everything that I've done in my career. So the company that you started is called Connect to Joy. Yes. And so is that kind of at the heart of what you're trying to do is to help connect there? Can you explain a little bit more about that? Totally. Yes. It's called Connect to Joy. Very purposeful. My brother and I actually, one of my younger brothers and I came up with the name primarily, I don't know when I was conscious of this, but I remember hearing a quote several years ago and it's by Howard Thurman, who was a theologian and a mentor to Martin Luther King. And the quote says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it because what the world needs are more people who have come alive. And when I heard it, and I don't even remember the context, Nathan, like it just, maybe I read it or maybe somebody said it. And I just thought, yes, that's it. <laughs> that the whole idea of living life fully is coming alive. And I've done that intuitively, right? Trying to figure out like, what about this job? Or what about this relationship? Or what about this role? Or what about this task? Can I find that makes me come alive? And what I realized is that not many, I, don't, I shouldn't say not many, but that's something that we don't always get guided to do. I kind of stumbled upon it. And I thought, well, let me help people do that. <laughs> figure out what makes them come alive and activate and inspire them to do it and connect to joy, right? Because aliveness for me really is about joy, experiencing joy in life. So that's why the company name is so meaningful to me. And then the logo, if you've seen the logo, it has a butterfly, which is a symbol for transformation oftentimes. And then there's all these puzzle pieces that comprise the butterfly. Again, my brother's artwork, he and I were talking about why I thought this was so important. I said, well, you know, it's not like you connect to joy 
because you found the one thing. No, there are pieces, right? There are pieces of us that we get to reclaim. There's parts of our childhood. There's parts of our hobbies or relationships. There are career paths. There, there's all these things that we just connect and we keep connecting. And that's the idea behind having puzzle pieces that make up this really colorful, alive and joyful butterfly. I appreciate the intentionality of all of that and the heart behind it. So you kind of gave us a glimpse already to your families involved in your life. You've got, you know, that's an important piece of the puzzle for you. Yeah, Uh, Bringing joy, all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot there, which gives me a great opportunity to talk about your beginning. Mm -hmm. And so at what point in life did you realize that you could make life better for others by helping them succeed? When did that start for you? When did that start? I think technically I could point to when I was a junior in high school because I had this amazing band director, which I'd like to talk about. But I think if I were to peel it back even further, like my mom, (laughs) my mom remembers this. I don't remember it, but she loves to tell this little anecdote that her friends would come over and visit. We're originally from the Republic of Panama. I should probably share that too. And we immigrated to the U.S. when I was nine years old, when my dad then joined the U.S. military. But prior to that, living in Panama, I'm a kid, maybe six, seven years old, as far as I can remember, was my mom shared. And her friends would come to visit her. You know, she's in her late 20s, maybe early 30s. And somehow, whenever she'd go and get a snack or do whatever to support taking care of her guests, I would somehow insert myself in the conversation or they would come and look at my Barbies or something. And then I would have all these questions, <laughs> have all these like conversations with adults. And my mom would just marvel. She's like, what do you have to talk about with a six-year-old? Like, what do her friends have anything to say to a six-year-old? But she said it happened all the time. So I think as early as then, I always knew that teasing out pieces of people's lives was, was important to me. So that's that's like the earliest memory that my mother has <laughs> pointed out. But the one that I thought was the most relevant or the most intentional was when I was a junior in high school, I went to... At that time, we were stationed in Fort Rucker, Alabama. I was going to Carroll High School, go Eagles. <laughs> and uh, in band, I was, my first year in band was my junior year and I was in the color guard. And that first year I went because a couple of my friends said, hey, let's try out for color guard. It'll be fun, something fun for us to do for school spirit. So I did with no intention to do anything else than just have a nice time going to football games or whatever. At the end of that semester, my band director, David Bullish, approached me and he said, Valerie, what are you doing next year or next semester? I said, oh, next semester, I'll probably take some other elective, you know. He said, what about concert band? And I'm like, well, I only play the keyboards. I mean, that's not really something that you use in concert band. He's like, ah, we have mallet keyboards, which would be interesting. I'm like, okay, sure. So I did that. The next summer is coming around and he said, are you planning on being in marching band again? And I said, yeah, you know, color guard again, that would be great. He said, would you be interested in being a captain for the color guard. And I'm like, captain, oh, Brandy Jorkins should do that. She's been, she's been gunning for that. And we're both going to be seniors next year. And he said, yeah, but go ahead and try out. You know, why don't you just try it out? And I thought, okay, I trusted him. He was always very encouraging of everybody in the band. So I said, oh, why not? And he said, my, my tryout wasn't 
amazing. <laughs> it was functional, right? I was really good at execution, but I had zero creativity. So coming up, we had to come up with our own routine, music, movement. And I was just like, oh, this is tedious. But I did it. I think there were five of us that did. And at the end of it, Mr. Bolish calls Brandy and me into his office. And he says, congratulations, you're co-captains. Brandy was just like, what? We've never had co-captains. And I was like, why am I here? And he told her, you know, you're very creative. You understand movement. Brandy, we need you and your spirit and your eye in color guard. Then he looked at me and he said, but Valerie, you're a teacher. I see how you spent every time after school or after practice helping the other color guard members with their speed spins and their technique, or you're encouraging and inspiring them to keep coming to practice, to stick with it. And I don't think I'd ever had anybody call it out. It was something that was so intuitive for me that I never knew. And when he put that label on it, I was like, yeah, I'm a teacher. I'm a coach. That's something that I've always done. And he finally had me focus on it. So then it became much more intentional from that point on how I showed up in the workplace, how I showed up in my, the tasks that I did, the kind of experiences I gave other people. And it's sometimes it runs my life <laughs> and my family will say it runs theirs too. <laughs> but yeah, that's so, the origin story. I, I love that. And I, um, I actually went to two schools my senior year. Mm. Uh, one was in Mobile, uh, Alabama, just down the road from where you were. And then I actually graduated high school in St. Louis, Missouri. But it's interesting to me because you and I are in the same class. Mm. And then you graduated from there, which is only would have been, you know, eight or nine years after your family gets to the States. And then you decide to go to the University of Alabama and you're part of the million dollar marching band. Yeah. I appreciate your humility about your uh, capacity, but evidently <laughs> other people didn't agree because that's not just the kind of place where you go and do that just because you think it might be fun to do that. True. That's a very, very high honor. So what led you to the University of Alabama? My, my dad made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm one of four children. I have an older brother and then two younger brothers who are twins. I actually wasn't even interested in going to the University of Alabama. I had several friends who were staying in town, going to the local junior college to get some credits and that sort of thing. And I was just like, that sounds cool. Why not? And my dad was like, no, you will go to a four-year school. He did not have a college education at the time. And he thought that that was important. It's not something to be missed. My older brother at the time was two years ahead and he'd been at the University of Alabama and so my dad said, just go there. <laughs> and so that's the only school I applied to. <laughs> I got in and yeah, that's why I ended up going to school there. That simple. My dad well, I find it amazing because when I did my uh, cyber stalking of you, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> uh, the number of things that you did while you were there does not imply someone who was casual about life. You were involved in a number of things designed to promote peace, understanding, cultural awareness. I mean, there's so many things that you were involved in even then that I find fascinating because again, you move to the States, you start this new life and you took off in a sprint and evidently haven't stopped sprinting. <laughs> no. So where does that passion come from? Where's that? What is that drive? It's the joy I find in everything I do. I find it. That's, I think the key word. I, I think that the, the the game has always been for me to figure out 
okay, so what, why am I here in this particular moment? Why am I here in this particular school? You know, moving at age nine was not easy. I didn't know the language. We had to learn English. I didn't learn English fluently enough until I was about 10 years old. Yeah, when you're a kid, you pick up things quickly. But we moved, the first state we moved to was Georgia. So if you can imagine, first of all, I didn't luckily pick up a Southern accent at the time, but not luckily, I should say luckily. I've lived most of my life in the South, but I've been able to maintain a fairly neutral accent when it comes to regionalism. But what was interesting is it trained me, like moving around. I went to like four or five elementary schools right? Between third grade and sixth grade, right? Four or five elementary schools, new friends every new every time we moved, new routine, new culture. We lived in Georgia, we lived in Alabama, we lived in Hawaii. And each time it was like a game to figure out, okay, so what's going to make it cool being here? And I think, I don't know where it comes from other than perhaps, you know, both my parents are so they're so up for everything, even to this day. So I told you my dad didn't have a college degree when he told me go to University of Alabama, but now he has a master's degree. He did it online. <laughs> my mother, although she was a teacher by profession when we were in Panama for 25 years, she was a teacher when we immigrated to the US because the teaching cert qualification certifications are different. She wasn't able to do that, but she was like, no, 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 I'm not staying home. <laughs> I'm going to go find something interesting to do. And then what she would have us doing during the summer, and I think this is kind of where it started, Nathan, like she was grooming us, although we didn't know this. Every summer, she would give us like two weeks where we could do anything we wanted. We could eat Pop-Tart for breakfast, lunch, and dinner if we wanted to. But then she said, after two weeks, you need to go find something to do or I will find it for you. So what that looked like, my brothers were all three of them are all Eagle Scouts. So they did a lot of scouting stuff in the summer. I didn't care for Girl Scouts as much. And so I ended up doing a lot of different things. I dabbled. And I think the dabbling always led me to like, ooh, I like this. Or, ooh, no, I don't like this. I'm not doing that again. And that could have been anything from sports to babysitting to I sometimes assisted at the Boy Scout camps and things like that whenever I was allowed to go. But I think the example of my parents not being so closed about what there is to do and moving was never such a big deal. It was like, okay, something we do. And then you go get plugged in. Okay. You're only here for a year. We'll get plugged in in that year. And that's the spirit in which I pursue everything I do. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I could be here for four hours. What am I going to find to make those four hours interesting or joyful or alive? So you graduate from college, having been a part of every Evidently, every social thing possible. You're a part of. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. That that's, that leaves a lot of room for interpretation. In, in a very positive way. In very positive ways. You're, you're okay. uh, with you're you're part of the band. You're part of the choir. You're a part of these programs focused on Spanish speaking and the cultural piece. I mean, you've got all this going on, yeah. and you're a translator of all these different cultures. <laughs> and so you end up, you finish up with college and you go and work with up with people. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you go into moving into Dallas and finding your opportunities there. Yeah. And, and you just keep moving in a single direction. And I point that out only because I find it interesting how many people that I have a lot of appreciation for like you who have a lot of different titles, let's say over the course of a career, mm -hmm. but they have had one focus. Mm -hmm. And so the titles may have been different. The organizations may have been different, but the person that you were at Carroll High School mm -hmm. or, or now when you are an assistant professor at Berkeley 
or you are doing the other thing. That, that kid that that band director saw something in mm-hmm. has changed, kinda. <laughs> it's been, you, who you are has been amplified. But what they saw in you when you were a teenager and where you are now, you've been on a singular path. And I find that absolutely amazing. So uh, mm-hmm. at what point did you start transferring over into this idea of I can use my ability to communicate to help people and I could use my ability to listen to be able to help as a, an executive coach? How did that come to be? How did it come to be? You know, I, I love that you hone in on that. Yes, singular path. I think the the piece for me has been, I don't even know what point this came about, but I'm also very spiritual and I am clear and it gets more and more clear as I live, the longer I live, that I'm not in charge. I have been given a set of skills, a set of, of abilities or talents, and my job is to embody that in whatever vehicle I'm given. That's the only thing I'm clear about. And it's not always easy to discern. (laughs) Like, okay, is this the vehicle I should use or is that the vehicle? But I remember going to, what was the first? So so this is like random, a few random things that I realized, okay, I need to do something with this ability. (laughs) So for example, I remember I used to work at the Chamber of Commerce when I first moved here to Dallas. And in that role, I was the manager of workforce development. So a lot of connections with other human resources professionals, et cetera. We were interviewing incoming, recently graduated college students for a new role. And I remember this young lady came in and she was wearing a lot of of makeup, really well done, tasteful, but a lot more than a corporate setting would typically, you would be typically used to. And I remember each of us would take turns interviewing her. That was part of the deal. So our, our boss said, you know, get to know her, see what you think. And then at the end of the day, I'll make a decision whether or not she's fit for the team. So she took turns and went to everybody's office. And I thought it was great. Yeah, I noticed the makeup, but it wasn't off-putting. And you know, she was very elegantly dressed, so tasteful. And so when she left and went to somebody else's office and my other peer came in, she's like, well, what did you think about? She had the makeup on. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. She's like, why does she wear so much makeup? And I'm like, I don't know. Did you ask her? Like, no, we can't ask her that. And so I'm like, I'll find out. <laughs> so I, I went in when she was meeting with one of my other peers. And in just conversation, I was listening in a little bit. And then I said, I don't know why, but I said, have you ever done any performing arts? And she's like, no, not really performing arts, but oh my gosh, pageants. I love pageants and I grew up going to pageants and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, pageants. That explains so much. It explains your look and your fashion. And she's like, oh my gosh, I know. I know I spend a lot of time on my appearance, but I'm just conditioned since I was a little girl. And it was like this sixth sense to always ask the next question. And it shows up in like random places. I mean, I've used it in speed dating and it works really well. I mean, in seven minutes, I can get to know something that most people would never hear. And I think those are the moments where I started to realize that, okay, I need to parlay this gift, talent into something. Um, When I worked after leaving the chamber, I worked for Hyatt for several years and in all sorts of roles in, in leadership development. The last role I had at Hyatt was as a regional director of learning and development. A lot of travel, but also a lot of conversations with people. And that's where I started to hone like the professional aspect of 
coaching, like really thinking about, okay, what does this leader need? They would have all sorts of assessments that we've then helped walk them through. And that's where it became more formalized and channeled. And when I left Hyatt, I just took those pieces, like that's where, that's my carry on, if you will, that I took to the next role. I didn't even want to have my own business, but my mentors all kind of started gently nudging me. I got three good nudges and I said, okay, fine. This is the vehicle I'm supposed to be in right now. So, and that's why I'm here. You aren't going to like this, but one of the things that we uh, talk about at Strata quite a bit is something that I was taught when I was uh, probably, it was in college, but this uh, guy was speaking at this event and, and I was uh, there and, and I was just, he, he was captivating to me at the time. And, and he said something, he said, humility always connects and arrogance always separates. Mm. And I, I know that that's not a law, but I took it to heart. Mm. And I think about why were you able to do that? Why do people feel connected to you? Why do people want to share things with you? And I think it's interesting because gratitude tends to be the precursor to humility. If you can't mm. feel an appreciation for where you are, if you don't have a sense that someone helped you get there. And I sense that within you. And I, and I know you're not going to love me saying, I think a big part of what allows people to feel so at home with you is because they feel a sense of humility that comes through how you interact with them. And so I, I just want to point that out. Uh, I think it's uh, your ability, but it's also your compassion for people, which I think probably connects back to that spirituality that's been a guiding force in your life. I'm the most humble person I know, Nathan, so yes. <laughs> no, I, saw the, I saw the award at University of Alabama that you had gotten uh, when it said most humble, self-appointed. It, it was really good. Um, then I didn't, since you accepted it, they took it back from you. That's how it works. <laughs> that was a trick. That's the trick. So I appreciate the, the, the time and I, I want to focus in on just a little bit more as we wrap up our time. Mm -hmm. You get to work with people when they tend to be at a spot where they're stuck or maybe they um, are wrestling with what to do next and they, they have to make a choice between things and, and, and all these types of things that you get to see because you are working very closely with leaders but you get to see leadership up close. Mm -hmm. When you think about challenges of being a leader right now, what would you describe as some of the, the challenges that you see? Uh, maybe if you could hone, even, even sift that down into to one or, or two things, that these are the challenges that leaders are facing today. Mm. Challenges leader facing today. I think from my experience, I would say a couple things would be defining authenticity for themselves. We talk a lot about being an authentic leader, right? That's been bandied about quite a bit, but like, what does that actually mean for the individual? And I think that's where authenticity actually shows up. It's not because you saw the dictionary definition or because you saw this TED talk or heard a podcast. No, like when you get, you get authentic when you know what your authenticity means. That I think that's number one. And number two, and maybe we saw it as a result of the pandemic and how things kind of collapsed around the systems that we've put in place to keep people safe and have a structure that provided some certainty. But I think the second piece that I see leaders, maybe they don't lean into it, but kind of forced to now, right? This situation and the circumstances have forced people into some sort of survival mode. 
And because it's gone on much longer than anyone anticipated or was technically prepared for, figuring out how to thrive in the circumstances. Those are the two. I mean, those are very broad, like within those two, there's so much to peel back, but those are the two that I would say I a, get the most joy from <laughs> supporting people in discovering. Valerie, it has been an honor to have you be a part of this show today. For those who are looking to take their lives to the next level, to be able to focus, to be able to have a thought partner, Valerie is someone that has just been a, a great source of joy. And I think your company is so well named. And so if you are looking for that person that can bring energy to the room as a speaker, if you're looking for someone that can be of help to you as an executive coach, connect with us at Strata Leadership or connect with Valerie on LinkedIn and you can find her stuff there with Connect to Joy directly. But uh, Valerie is one of the people in the world that chooses to look for the thing that makes life better. And there are so many lessons to be learned from that. And so I appreciate not even knowing your parents. I appreciate your parents. You told me before we came on to the show that you called your, your mother earlier today. Yeah. So if you're talking to your mom and we'll wrap up with this, what does she say to help you focus? To help me focus? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think my mom just brings laughter and lightness. You know, talk about joy. She's an embodiment of joy. Sometimes it's annoying. <laughs> like, mom, I just want to whine and complain. But most of the time she has a silver pen handy at any moment and will silver line whatever it is that I'm experiencing. So I think that's something I'm really grateful for her. I don't tell her often. So I'm going to send her this recording. And mom, I said it in public. You're the best silver liner that I know. (laughs) And that's why, you know, I talk to her almost every day. And she also brings a lightness and a joy to the conversations we have and the experiences that I share with her. I appreciate that a lot. So thank you to Valerie Hope. She's a leadership coach. She's a speaker. She's an author. She's a professor. She has the heart of an educator. And that heart, in my experience, is the heart of a leader. And so thank you, Valerie, for being a part of the Strata Leadership Show. For those who are listening in, the role you play as a leader can be subtle. It can be small but it is always intentional of how do you serve someone else to help them succeed and thrive. And it's your job as a leader to set the pace and to set the tone. And today, as you're going out there, be intentional, look for an opportunity, serve others, and make the day a day where people can connect to joy. Have a great day. I look forward to seeing you next time on the Strata Leadership Show. <laughs>